Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Clinton Crute. And I'm Devika Girish. We're the editors of Film Comment. With Cannes 2022 kicking off this week, Film Comment is on the ground, reporting on all the cinematic excitement at the film industry's grandest annual event, with the help of our On the Cross Set crew of contributors. On today's podcast, Film Comment publisher Eugene Hernandez sits down with producer and editor-at-large at the BFI, Lizzie Frank, to provide an inside-the-industry take on this year's festival. We'll let Eugene take it from here, but don't forget to subscribe to the Film Comment Letter today for early access to all of our CAN coverage, including interviews, dispatches, and podcasts. We hope you enjoy our conversation. This is Eugene Hernandez, publisher of Film Comment. On this episode of the Film Comment podcast from CAN, I'm sitting across the table from Lizzie Frankie. Welcome, Lizzie. Hi. Hi. Very nice to be here. It's nice to have you here. And we're here at the 2022 Cannes Film Festival, the 75th Cannes Film Festival. Lizzie joins us from the BFI, and we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about your your career and your, your path. Well, why don't you just maybe start by telling me about your relationship to this festival? We're starting this 75th year. Uh, I don't know. I think I've been coming here for a little over 20 years, but what about you? Do you remember your first... Do you remember your introduction to... I can remember my first Cannes, but not being there. So I was working in London as a waitress and just starting out as a journalist. And I always have a vivid, vivid memory of being working in a restaurant where there were a, there was a couple in front of me I had to wait on and they'd just come from Cannes and they were just talking about the business and they weren't talking about film. And I wanted to pour the soup on their heads because I was thinking, how can you have just spent two weeks in this place where it's all about cinema and anyway, very decadent conversation they were having. But... I, I kind of remember the, sort of the, the, the feeling of films were being talked about and it was the year, interestingly, of For Chocolat, Claire Denis' first film. Um, and I ended up, around that time, I moved from being a journalist to working for Liz Rent Electric Pictures and she'd set up her brilliant company on the back of distributing Agnes Varda's Vagabond and kind of specialized in women directors. And Liz hired me to go and work for her. And I, the first film I worked on as a sort of publicist, everything was kind of chocolat. Um, so I kind of remember Can by that, you know, this was in a really important debut. Um, a, a significant woman director, Liz was in the, this was the late 80s, 87, 88, kind of devoting her, her sort of kind of her remit to women filmmakers. Then I, I went to Cannes for her, and I, I always get the ears a bit jumbled up. So I can remember being in Cannes for Distant Voices Still Lives, Terence Davis's film, and having sort of a, an epiphany about how British cinema could be extraordinarily poetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also there was the, I think it was the following year, um, coming to Cannes, Liz handing me a ticket and saying, you have to go and see this film tonight, I want to know what you think because I just need your your thoughts because she was very kind of inclusive in terms of her staff, you know, look, you know, looking at cinema. And the film was Jane Campion's Sweetie. And I went to the 10 o'clock screening and kind of, I went into sort of paroxysms of joy. <laughs> um, and I remember vividly that was a screening where people were flipping their seats 
and come and leaving. There was it was like the classics of French claqueurs of the old days, where if people didn't like a film, they would make loud banging noise, noises with their seats. And I was sitting up in the gods, and I was sitting with a friend of mine who um, also worked for the BFI at the time, actually, Kate Ogborn, who's become a very good friend, is very good producer. And we were sort of so distraught that this film we so loved, and it was very evident that there were lots of people who didn't wanted to show their distaste for it. Um, and later on that evening, I was at the Pity Carlton, and rumor has it that Jane Campion was there and was very yeah. upset because her basically her first film had been booed at. It was true cluckers booing. Um, so I can remember thinking, can can be the making of people, but can also be the breaking of people because I thought the film was just extraordinary, but how incredibly disruptive to have that kind of response from a 10 o'clock black tie audience. I mean, it's extraordinary to think that now. The, um, the festival certainly has a history of, as you just said, holding up, celebrating, introducing, um, like in a, in a moment's notice, a film can be, a filmmaker, a film can be placed on sort of um, a level of awareness from a screening here. But the festival has a history of also to the example you just gave of being uh, occasionally very loud in its distaste, and yet Jane Campion's still with us, had a great completely, year. Completely, so, but, completely. But in that moment, it can, it, it, can be, it can be so... I think it's that very interesting thing also about films of kind of that graduation in Cannes. And now from perspective of the job I have, which is of supporting filmmakers and particularly first time filmmakers sometimes can competition is not a good option and it's much better to be in director's fortnight or critics week where you're the discovery rather than being sort of put under this you know, extraordinary spotlight in competition and having maybe a, a very disruptive experience so i kind of think of um, this year we have, you know, Charlie Wells's After Sun and Critics Week, and that is to me just the perfect, perfect place because it's such a gem, and and to me it will sort of shine, um, and I, I'm excited about that. But I kind of I think I've I've been to enough cans to understand the kind of placing a film is so essential. I mean, and also you know running film festivals as you know too, it's like the programming and how you place it, it's not just the invitation, but what time, where, which cinema mm -hmm. is so, so kind of essential. And I, I think I learned a lot about that. I sort of soaked all that up by coming to many festivals. Well, we're just uh, settling in. It's early in the festival as we sit down and have this conversation. But, um, you know, I have to ask you to tell us more about After Sun, if you don't mind, as a, as a little bit of a plug, but also just to, to, to prepare, our, prepare our minds and, and set, get us set for uh, um, what's to come. Charlie Wells is an exceptionally talented uh, filmmaker. She's Scottish by origin, but um, she went to um, study at NYU. Um, and she um, had made quite a few shorts. Her work was introduced to me by, actually by... Uh, Evie Yates, who's now head of BBC Films, and um, I love the films, completely love them. Um, we we kind of supported her first feature because we saw a kind of an incredible vision. Um, some, she's also, what I love about talking to Charlie, she's so cinematic. Um, she thinks about film in a particular way. I love also the fact that we have a, 
a young filmmaker who references Chantal Ackerman as a point of reference to help you understand particular sequences. Um, that to me is very exciting um, in a way I kind of think job is done, you know, that the, the, the past is constantly being re revisited by a new generation. Um, After Sun is, I describe it as a kind of ambient poem about grief. Um, it's a, it sort of holds a moment, the last holiday a, a, a young girl spends with her dad. Um, and the holiday is basically nothing happens, but everything happens. Mm -hmm. And what I love about it is that it's sort of the film so exquisitely captures a kind of a conversation about memory. Um, and that to me also what this film is so exceptional about. Mm -hmm. It's a putting you in a space where maybe it's just capturing a, a particular gesture that you remember or a particular way someone dances or a particular line, you know, conversation that you had that seems very irrelevant at the time, but then you realize in retrospect, it sort of has a sort of resonance. Mm -hmm. So her first feature um, is, is sort of uh, exp exp exploring sort of these, these very deep themes. Um, I suppose love, loss, um, and, and, you know, to me, very profound navigation of grief and memory and also what prompts memories. We'll get to a little bit of your path to get here, but, but since we're, we're talking about After Sun, um, that's sort of an easy way in to talk about more about what you do in this current chapter of your life uh, at the BFI. Tell us a bit, of more, tell us a bit more about the BFI and, and the work you're specifically yeah. doing there. Well, so the British Film Institute is an extraordinary um, space that is about film in all its facets. It champions cinema um, in terms of um, history, fantastic archive. Um, it champions cinema in terms of distribution. Um, it champions cinema in terms of making films so kind. Of, I, I still say the BFI provides this pathway. You're a young person, you engage with it, you either want to become, you know, it gives you the opportunity to become the most avid audience member, or it also invites you, well, maybe you want to make them too. So it kind of finds ways to help you think about becoming a filmmaker. Um, I've been very lucky to have worked there for quite a few years now. Um, but I kind of also think about when I first started out, sitting in the BFI library as an academic journalist, um, researcher, um, the BFI is kind of the, the making of me. Um, so I kind of feel very privileged to be working there still. Um, and uh, I find it, you know, obviously exciting time in terms of culture and the importance of culture in terms of change. And I think we've done, you know, we've done sort of very exciting work to, to really make sure that film um, is open to everyone and that sort of accessibility. I think there's been, particularly in the UK, in the past, film seemed to be quite a rarefied thing. Um, and I think that a lot of work's been done, I mean, in terms of, I suppose, who can access it, who can access making films, who can access the past, you know, archival film, history, felt quite a sort of privileged sort of space. But I think the BFI's done incredible work to make it inclusive and to, to show that film represents everybody, you know. It's an amazing trajectory that I think, that I've observed that you've had. And it's interesting to think about how for you, the BFI is the constant sort of 
touchstone or I don't want to overstate it, but you, you referenced it a second ago that it's been this institution that's had a connection to your own life or work. Yeah. I think it's, I think in a way that's so interesting because my my dad was a film buff. He wasn't a filmmaker, but he was a film buff. He he well he was a filmmaker in the sense he made he made um, amateur animations. He was he was kind of wonderful eccentric. He a musician by trade, but sort of made a little made little animations. Got involved in an animative club. Um, he used to get sight and sound monthly film bulletins. So I would read. Um, read monthly film bulletin was exciting just to sort of see titles of films also I suppose um at that when I was little little I mean my parents were that generation that film going to films was so important to them in terms of I suppose respite so um you know they, they were the, the second world war generation so they went to see films to sort of you know, take themselves out of themselves. But interestingly, my mum and dad didn't meet until the 60s, but both of them love Palm Pressburg movies. So, you know, my mum's favourite film was had been Red Shoes. My dad's favourite film was Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of think when I was sort of, you know, beginning to be interested and also other place that played an important part of my education was the BBC because the BBC ran seasons of these movies. So my mum and dad would go, oh, you must go and watch it's, I know, the the um the eating horror, Dead of Nights on, or The Innocent. So they would sort of, you know, be excited and say, you must watch it. So Again, my brother and I got our film education more from TV than going to um, the BFI South Bank, but but it was sort of just that sort of sense of history was important, and the and I loved my parents' love. You know, my one of the things we one of the last movies we took my dad to as an event was a um, screening of Two Thousand One with an orchestra with an or- or live orchestra, and my dad told me that he'd gone to it. 10 times when it came out in the 60s. My dad was quite sort of, um, obsessive and he had gone to see it in the, in all kinds of cinemas, including the 180 degree Cinerama. And it was, again, it was that sort of sense. I, I know that I got my, I realized I've got my movie love from my dad, you know, even though we might've evolved different tastes or, you know, I had a probably a wider spectrum of interests. I know that kind of obsessiveness definitely, you know, was came from my father. My father bought Sight and Sound. My father bought the monthly film bulletin. Um, he was particularly, there would be particular things he'd go to, but he wouldn't be all encompassing. But um, yes, so the BFI was sort of there. I, I can remember the the, dot, the logo with the dots. Um, and then I suppose as a student, I yeah, would go to the BFI library. So yes, so it was with great you know pleasure and pride that I started writing for Sight and Sound. I mean, that was, and probably for, for my dad, that was a kind of key moment in my career. It was like, you know, you're writing for the magazine that I used to subscribe to, you know, <laughs> it was exciting. Yeah. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. We're sitting at the uh, in a hotel in Cannes at the 75th 
Cannes Film Festival. And our guest is Lizzie Frankie from the BFI, talking about obsessiveness and cinema that I think uh, is, a, is a trait that probably will resonate with uh, anyone who's, who might be listening to this conversation now uh, and who might read Film Comment or Sight and Sound. Um, and we're certainly in a place at a festival where um, you can see uh, firsthand the obsessiveness around films and filmmakers and this in, in this in this to use a word you used earlier in this kind of rarefied environment of a film festival. Folks are here to to be introduced to and discover and connect with cinema at its at its earliest uh, public form. How do you think about the relationship that cinema has to audiences now? What are what are you observing? In certainly, there's obsessives like your dad or like yourself or or, or like others who who are going to be excited to um, to see the new Claire Denis film. But what do you see? What do you observe? The relationship is. I I feel and certainly something I sort of evolved thinking in a very obvious way in the last ten years that films film as a religion has found all kinds of ways of of. You can genuflect in all kinds of ways. And I always joke it can be, you can be in the cathedral, but you can also have the tablet. You know, you can you can find your religion in in, in different ways. And I think that's sort of exciting that, and, and I'm not snobby about people not going to cinemas. I think that if you can find excitement through watching films on YouTube, and we know now there's so much content there in terms of, you know, films that have probably been, put up there kind of illegally, but the fact is you can see them. Um, I feel that possibility excites me that, that you can find things. I suppose what I feel strongly still though, you still need you still need a few priests to help people find, or priests or rabbis or imams to sort of help guide. And it's not saying that they're high on high, but their kind of their kind of fervor helps other, you know, that's the supplicants to use that uh, analogy. It's like it's it's you you do need those journeys and pathways and to um, have someone hold your hand along the way. And I kind of think when I grew up, there were a lot of repertory cinemas. There was very brilliant programming, double bills on the BBC. So I would um, be exposed to masses, but in a kind of context. And I kind of think that's really important, but I feel... But I do feel excited that there's so many ways people can see things. But I, but I do think curation and the... Someone said the other day, I think it was Eric Kahn's piece about what's happening with... Um, which festival is it? Rotterdam. Rotterdam, that's right. That it's like having people with expertise. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's it's kind of helping. It's, it's, it's not patronizing. It's not didactic. It's going, we, we need those... Um, lightning rods mm -hmm. and also it's about enthusiasm and in a way how many times you know I mean I, I was brought up as sort of um, a, a, a bad Christian um, my, my my father's family had a range of religions you know it, it, you know we have a running joke that by the time that my dad died he nearly became a Jew again but it's like it was like oh sorry he nearly rediscovered re his Jewish faith he, he, sorry, I'll start this again. My father didn't know he was Jewish, so we have a long-running... He went through different versions of religion and then became um, agnostic, um, an atheist just before he... about the last 10 years before he died. And the running family joke was, well, maybe you could, you know, go and check out a local synagogue. And actually, I met a rabbi who said, well, actually, he probably could. But the point being, 
I can I was put off Christianity by some really bad priests, you know, and and I kind of think, well, so you can, but you can also have good priests. You can have priests that really, you know, really impact you. And you know, I I still listen to various. Um, we have this thing in the UK called Thought for the Day, and I and I'm always impressed by the range and diversity of religious and spiritual voices. Bottom line, it's the same for film. You can have people who 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 aren't um, caring or inclusive. You can have people who are kind of very didactic, and I think that's the great thing. We've come out of that phase. Mm-hmm. I can remember when I was a young female critic. I was sort of, it was implied that how could I possibly write about Scorsese? You know, I mean, there were certain things I could write about, but not Scorsese and like just keep to women filmmakers that you're sort of, you know, making your career on. I'm thinking like, well, I, I can, I sort of jump up and down. I, I can do that too. So what I love now is that we have a far more sort of um, um, open-minded uh, world in terms of who, what priests can talk about what. So this is really waffly. I do apologize. Is it really worthy? <laughs> no, no. I think it. I think it actually works because I think the, the, the where I want to take our conversation next is that you in your in your journey to this moment have worn a number of different hats. In we're talking about critics. We're talking about curators. These are these are the folks that are like kind of on the front lines of of you know out pounding the pavement right now at this festival to find and discuss and hopefully share in other places in the future or write about in other places in the future, talk about um, the cinema that we're experiencing. And, and you've, had, you've had an experience where you referenced your, critic, your, your career as a critic, uh, whether it's writing for you know, Sight and Sound or, or Screen or The Guardian, The Observer. Um, you also have programmed a cinema early in your career and also run a film festival, Edinburgh Film Festival. So you've you've had many different moments in your career where you've worked as critic, as curator. You've you've been that kind of, to use your analogy, that 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 priest or that imam who's um, who's sort of out there and then bringing work to an audience. Um, how do you? I get concerned when you, you reference the Eric Cohn piece in IndieWire about Rotterdam. Uh, certainly get concerned if if the if if those evangelists if those you know those 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 critics and curators are not sort of preserved and held up and their work is not seen or or is devalued i suppose it's in in that case it feels like economic devaluing and a range of things and i kind of think it's the sort of sense that everything's out there so everyone can find it for themselves but i actually think it's really important to have your hand held and uh, i kind of think of people who've pointed me in the direction of things and that's always i'm always wanting to know what you know the you know we think about it we're at a festival one of the most exciting things is you know what have you seen what what excites you and you want to know and you want to you want to be prompted and you also want to discover your for yourself but the key thing is that kind of conversation you want to be part of you can't get that from an algorithm though, no, right you can't you get can't... it from an algorithm and i still joke about the time that i i bought I think I bought a DVD of Celine and Julie goes bo- go boating on Amazon, and then I was recommended yachting manuals. I mean, it's it's a kind of, it's kind of, maybe that wouldn't happen now, <laughs> but I mean, it was a it kind of in the way you go. The algorithm thinks I'm going to like this. I want passion. I want a, a beating heart telling me what they've loved, not a a, a sort of computer software. Um, 
because I think that's to what I've always felt that I bring to my role is passion and enthusiasm. And I think when I ran Edinburgh, what I loved about it is I had this little soapbox going, please see this film, please see this film. Because I think it's really important. I love it. And it's not about, I know best. It's because I really want you to see it. I really think you're going to have a great experience. Um, and I kind of feel that when I left Edinburgh, people said to me, what do, what do you miss most of all? I go, well, I had a, I had a sort of space to kind of excite people and go, you should see this. I believe this film is important. And I think you might have a good time, particularly when we had so many marginalized films that weren't getting into the sort of the mainstream. And I think, you know, the, the Edinburgh I ran was very much the sort of the smaller films, the outlier films, films that sort of needed a bit of oxygen of publicity. So I felt that that was exciting. And I kind of felt that, again, as a journalist, I've always been about um, more marginalized voices. Um, and I think in terms of what I do now, it's about championing you. And that's always the hard bit. It's easy to champion Claire Denis now, but, you know, um, or Jane Campion, but those first features, you know, that and to me, that's still, I find really exciting. I find discovery sort of wonderful. Well, it is, I, I, I appreciate that you referenced Claire and Jane just just a moment ago, and also at the beginning of our conversation, because their early work resonated with you at the beginning, at, at an earlier stage of your career. We're at a festival now where Claire Denise bringing her new film. Her first film in competition since Chocola. Isn't that right? I think it's... Think it's, about that arc. Yeah. Think about that yeah. time span. Yeah. It's extraordinary. I mean, she's made many, obviously many genius films, but have found different, different spaces to launch. But... Um, yeah, she's. It, it, it's incredibly exciting that she is making pioneering work still. And I think again about the filmmakers who kind of impacted me in my formative years in terms of that new wave. I think about Catherine Breyer, Claire Denis, that generation of women, particularly French women directors. I suppose I hit Agnès Varda as in her comeback, you know, <laughs> um, with Vagabonds and, be, and beyond. Um, but kind of. You know, I, I, you know, one holds them high. Um, um, and I think what's exciting for me in, in terms of the UK, that when I was at that, that age in the 80s, there were no equivalents in British cinema for, for women directors, apart from Sally Potter, who had just started making shorts. To me, it's sort of so important that those kind of creatively uh, virtuoso female voices are now very much um, in the UK. Um, in, in the 80s, uh, there were a few women writing TV shows and you were aware of maybe in the States, women directors who, who are work of significance, but British cinema felt like a sort of bit of a wasteland so I kind of feel what excites me in terms of again sort of the passion for bringing through important voices um that now we have a, a sort of a British female tradition in its total stride mm -hmm. and they're just coming through and more and more coming through and 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 that is like kind of what you think yeah job done 
So as we're sitting here, Lizzie, it's, uh, you know, we're very early in the festival. It's literally day one as we record this. And how will you spend your, your coming days at the festival? What are you looking forward to? So this particular can is very busy for us because we've got lots of meetings. So obviously last year was wonderful for me because I just got to see lots of movies. But obviously with so many people here now, we've got to engage with um, all our sort of um, counterparts internationally in terms of film funds around the world. The industry feels like it's yeah. it's yeah. it's reconvened this exactly. year compared to last year. It's exactly. a kind of restart moment. It feels very, very busy, <laughs> which is good. It's lovely. It's it's fantastic to run into people I haven't seen for three years. You know, it's because it's three years. But I'm very much hoping to get to see a few films. Um, I mean, there's a long list, but I've kind of decided if I get to see four films as as there's been much discussed the ticket situation is quite difficult um but uh i personally really want to see god's creatures anna rose homer and uh, sala davis um i love the fits i mean that again to me was one of those really exciting tingle down the spine debuts it's a film playing in the director's fortnight yes it's in the director's fortnight i think it's, it's playing on thursday um but i'm really excited about that for me, last year I saw Babaya, and it's a film that's most stayed with me. And so, therefore, of course, I'm going to be seeing Sergei Lotzinitsa's um, Natural History of Destruction. And then a British filmmaker, Mark Jenkins, who made a film called Bait. He has a new film called Innis Men in um, uh, Directors Fortnite 2. Um, and again, a really distinct, original British voice. Um, Bait was shot in black and white, hardly any dialogue. Um, true, true cinema. He come, Mark comes out of that artist filmmaker background. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this men, I saw trailer and it looks very exciting, a sort of homage to 1970s folk horror, but through a sort of kind of slightly avant-garde prism. So kind of up my street. Um, and then I'm very excited for Ava Cohen taking over Critics Week. Um, and obviously we have a film in that section, which is um, After the Sun, but I feel... I've always loved those discovery sections and obviously Critics Week has always been a, a, a place. I kind of remember when I saw Raw, I can remember when I saw um, Amoris Peros, I can remember, you know, there's a range of like those great debuts mm-hmm. of significance that I've seen in Critics Week. So I always say to people, check it out. So therefore I'm incredibly proud that we have a film with supporting Ch- Charlie and her debut at um Critics Week, but I'm excited to see um, Ava's first year of selection. It's been too long to have a woman as head of a significant section in Cannes. I think the last woman was Marie-Pierre Massier, director's fortnight, and that was 20 years ago. You talked about progress for women filmmakers and there being a different playing field, but still work to be done. Huge, huge work to be done. And I look forward to... And it's not just in the filmmaking, but it's, to your point, in the the critics, the programmers, the curators. Yeah. I mean, I think we now have some really significant female critics, and that's brilliant. Again, when I started out as a baby critic, even though we had a great tradition in the UK with film film critics like Penelope Gilead and Penelope Houston, um, they were from the 60s. And so when I started out... um, um, in the 80s, I know that one of the reasons that I was hard to write for Sight and Sound was that there were, I think, hardly any women voices. And one of my 
my great mentors was Professor Pam Cook, who um, moved into academia, but she was deputy ed editor of Sight and Sound, and she brought me in. in the eighties, early nineties, it was pretty poor. I see now lots of strong, significant international voices, um, but certainly when I look forward to the time when Venice and Berlin and Cannes are all run by by women, that might might be a while. But um, that's, again, why I kind of Ava Cohen go, girl. Our guest on this edition of the Film Comment podcast is Lizzie Frankie, and we're wrapping up our conversation. The industry's coming back. We just talked about that. The industry's reconvening here at Cannes um, for a kind of reboot, a restart, hopefully, or, or at least a, a, a greater sense of energy after a number of years um, of either pause or disruption. Amidst all of that, Things continue to change. Audiences' habits change. Movies are certainly available in many, many different ways, and continuing to be available on more and more platforms. Um, what do you What are you sort of watching and 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 feeling and seeing that gives you uh, optimism for for the art form or for the in audiences' opportunities to engage with the art form? I think knowing that filmmakers like Joanna Hogg. Um, can make the kind of cinema they want to make and their films are built on a, 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 an acute understanding of cinematic grammar. Um, knowing that something like Charlie Wells after Sun, she can reference Shanta Ackerman um, to help us understand what she's doing. And that makes me very excited that, that sort of the past will continue to bleed through the present. It, it does so in literature, why not film? So I feel very strongly there's a kind of sort of uh, uh, the sense that people can build and refine and argue with cinema. I mean, that to me, as filmmakers and audiences, that gives me excitement and optimism. And I think, you know, cinema, I always say the screen is big. It can take whatever it's thrown at it. And we will always want to collectively come together, even if we're sort of, having periods of time on which we can't there's nothing like being in a cinema whether it's with three people whether it's with 300 people there's something about being in that physical space that is will never go i mean people still still want to find convene versions of spiritual religious spaces I think cinema is the same sort of thing. There's a kind of awe, true awe. And I think maybe that's also what we're looking for at the moment. We're looking for something transcendent and emotional, whether it's kind of, I always say cinema is kind of bolded it down to quite simple things. It, it can make you laugh, cry. It can make you think. It can make you feel frightened, but it makes you feel something. It's sort of as well as thinking things through. And that's sort of, to me, so it's a palpable thing. It's a very physical thing. And it, that won't go. That I'm going to take with me from this conversation, that notion that you've just shared, this idea of the screen being so big that it can it can contain and embrace so much. I think it is. I could say, yeah. I it's think, a meaningful way to go into an experience like yeah. this, certainly. Thank you. Well, I think it's, yeah, that's how I feel when it, it's, it's the alchemy. I, I call it the alchemy. I still think about, um, you know, the, the French sort of theorists have that expression about suture, about you know being sewn up into the screen 
yeah, and I kind of think whether you like French film theory or not, I still feel that thing of being sort of being sucked into the screen by by a good filmmaker. You know, I feel like there's that 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 impermeable membrane that I've become part of. Well, Lizzie Frankie uh, from the BFI, thank you for spending uh, this this time with us, sitting in a older hotel room with some mice running around. Thank you for sharing so many thank pearls you. with us and, and just part of your well, experience here. Thank you, thank you. And I just want to quickly say, for me, the New York Film Festival, what I love about what you do is every year I go, well, if I don't see more than 20 films, if they're all the films that played at New York Film Festival, that's enough. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And thank you for sharing that. Thank you for spending time today. And Pleasure. Good, good luck on the journey. Yeah, thank you. And we'll be back in subsequent days with dispatches from the Cannes Film Festival, 75th Cannes Film Festival. Get more and follow along at filmcomment.com and sign up or share this podcast and join us on the journey. Thank you very much. Until next time. The Film Comment Podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.